1: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Episode 5, Peter, the pro bono barrister. So far in the story of Peter Larvac, the Lambo lawyer, we've heard of his complete love for himself. We've heard stories of bravery, of taking down crims in court, and most of those stories paint a picture of Peter in a certain light, He's a good old fashioned narcissist. It's not a dirty word, Peter.
1: Why do you think people call you a narcissist?
2: Of course I am.
3: (laughs) (laughs) How do you respond when they call you that?
2: I take it as a compliment. I don't see anything particularly sinister or evil in being a narcissist. In this episode, you'll see a different
0: side to our Lambo lawyer. A side that shows that although he cares about himself, he really does care about others. He does it in his own way. It's not conventional, but then again, there's not much about the
2: Lambo lawyer that is. When Scott Westbrook ordered her parents to chase me down on the highway and bring me home because she wanted to meet me, after um, after all that happened, I invited them to my beach house at the Bay of Fire. For drinks and I took them all for riding the Lamborghini and we really clicked straight away. And, and mum and dad are lovely people. Let me push pause there for
0: a second. We'll get back to how Peter helped the Westbrook family in the face of tragedy and injustice after the death of their daughter Eden later in this episode. But before we do, let's talk with Eden's mum Amanda about their other daughter Skye. Skye and her legal classmates have developed a fascination, you could say, with Peter. And that ultimately resulted in them chasing Peter through the streets of Tasmania in his yellow Lamborghini.
1: Our 17-year-old daughter, Skye, went to Hobart. So this was a big deal because she'd never really been away from us as parents. So we were kind of asking her every day to send us a picture of her, how she was presenting herself in the day, what she was wearing. And every afternoon she'd come home and... At her own little apartment, and then um, text us or call us and tell us about her date. And halfway through the year, she starts, you know, really getting heavy about this um, person and in legal studies and how influential they are and how they're actually studying him quite deep, um, learning um, from when his beginnings to middles to now. Just for a joke, because um he was getting so much coverage in the in the classroom, some of the students um, took a blow-up picture of him with his shirt off on his motorbike <laughs> and stuck it on the classroom wall.
0: The man they're talking about is Peter Lavac, our Lambo lawyer
1: and Sky's calling us and she's talking about this Peter Lavac and you know we're a little sheltered and we could care less on on really who the person is we just want to hear about what our daughter's doing at school and I said to Jason my husband I'm like god they're doing that you know every time she's on the phone she's talking about this Peter Lovac and this funny little stories that they're doing at school and well
3: inside of my like legal class um last year we had to watch try uh, a documentary which was on trial which happened to have like Peter Lavac in it, and it was for like educational region- reasons to see how a court trial went and all. Like, Peter was a very different type of lawyer, and the whole class kind of jumped on the fact that he was very, very different to the average lawyers and barristers and stuff like that. And he was a lot more out there and stuff <laughs> out, like that.
0: Out there's and a good way just, to put him, yes.
3: Yeah, and it wasn't like the other barristers that were very serious and switched on and everything like that. Like like the whole class sort of was like oh my god this guy's so cool that everyone's like oh yeah go love and stuff like that because it was interesting every single time he was on the green and anyway, so then like it sort of went on from there and it was sort of like a ironic like sort of like joke type thing at the start but then like the more we found out and everything like that we were like oh look at this guy and then we actually got him into class and stuff like that and it was yeah it was insane
0: peter himself calls himself a self-confessed narcissist have you yes s- have you seen that yes i think you guys maybe in your legal class have added to his narcissistic ways you actually yes. created a wall as an ode or a shrine to peter lavak is that right
3: Yeah, and like like I said, it was like sort of this lighthearted, like sort of like joke type thing, and then it like
0: was like, oh, tell me about the wall of lava.
3: The wall of lava happened when like apparently like the class wanted to like see more of him and stuff like that, and so like our teacher got like a bunch of like articles and stuff up, and then we were able to print them out and put them on the wall and create this wall of lava, which is like this icon of legal studies.
0: So, where is this wall?
3: Um, It's in the main legal studies room, um, which also has other classes in it, but,
0: like, all the teachers just accept that it exists. (laughs) How many pictures and how big is the wall?
3: A metre by, like, a metre or a metre by two metres, maybe?
0: Yeah. And...
3: Yeah, uh, and, like, it probably got, like, over, like, way over ten pictures on it.
1: (laughs) And this lavac wall grew. And it was good fun and everybody was in, you know, really good spirits. And then the holidays came and Skye arrived home from Hobart and we're in St. Helens on the East Coast. She's woken up one morning early and with the father and her brother and they were going out to Binalong Bay for a swim. And it's only about a 20-minute drive, 25-minute drive. But as they were driving... Um, at the intersection, when we when they left home, um, this rumble came up the hill, and Sky started pointing at it, saying, "That's the that's Peter Lavac's Lamborghini." And Dad's like, oh, "I doubt it, doubt it very much." And she's like, "No, Dad, turn around now. I want you to follow it. That is his car. I need to get a picture of it for the Lavac walk." And Jason's like, no, we're going to the beach. This guy's now getting really angry at her dad because this would have given her, you know, a fair bit of stature if she had have gotten a picture of Peter Larvac's car. So they went to the beach, they came home, they told me, I just shook my head at my husband and said, oh, my God, you could have got really brownie points right there. But anyway, you go to the beach that you can go to any day. Um, and for four days, Jason said, every time I go out, I'm going to go for a look for this car and see where this guy's staying. I think I just heard Peter Lavack's car or a Lamborghini and it's parked right out of the front of our highway here. Um, and I was like, well, what are you waiting for? He's like, what do you mean? I said, we're going, let's go, let's follow it. So we literally got in the car, you know, threw our cups of coffee in the air, and um, and um, as we were hooting up the highway, I said we are never going to catch a Lamborghini at this speed. And as we come over the crest, we see the tail end of his car turning into off the highway into some into uh, the local mechanics. Look at that hun, he's turning, and I'm like going after him. He said, I'm not going in after him. Peter gets out of the car, and this is the first time we've ever seen Peter Lavack. Um, we've never known him prior this day until our daughter started mentioning. And I'm like, oh wow. And then I said, all right, well, once he comes out and ask him if he could, um, we could get a picture of <laughs> of his car and or a picture of him with our daughter. And he's like, oh, absolutely. And I just quickly explained that if you don't mind, follow us and we'll explain when we get to our place. Without hesitation, he said, you know, off you go Um, and I'll follow. So halfway on the way home, we got range and sent a message through and she's like, no way. And we're like, yeah, we have found him and we're coming home and he's going to get some pictures um, so yeah she was waiting for him <laughs> at home and he drove up the driveway sky's face was just priceless she was just so happy she's hugging her dad thanking him He gets out of the car and says you know are you sky and she said yes and we just start taking pictures straight away the minute he gets out we're taking pictures with her and him meeting for the first time, them having a discussion, and then Sky tells him about this larvac walk. <sighs> oh, and that changed everything. He said, oh, really, a larvac walk? How big is this? And she said, oh, it's probably a couple of meters long and wide, I've got to see this. Sky got uh, legendary status at Rosney College for life. And Bob was meeting his hero, and all these other students were also meeting who they um, kind of idolised. As I said, Sky never stopped talking about him every time.
0: Sky and her classmates are massive Lambo lawyer fans. They love the Lavac, and this chance infatuation, if you can call it that, actually not only gave Sky legendary status at school, it gave Amanda and her husband Jason some hope in their time of tragedy.
1: We'd actually had a tragedy in our lives where we lost a daughter. It was really, um, it never not seemed um, suspicious to me, but we just went along the way with the investigation and all the the misleading of um, us and so on and so forth. And over this period, when Peter came in, he kind of just opened up without even thinking and said, "You know what? Did the kids want to ride in the Lamborghini?" And no one in our family was ever going to be riding in a Lamborghini anytime soon, so I'm like, "Do you all want to ride in the Lamborghini?" Yep, okay. He puts everybody in the passenger seat, invites us out to his place at Binlong Bay, um, puts on a barbecue,
2: and then in the course of our discussions, they told me the very sad story about Eden, the youngest daughter, who about seven years ago was found hanging from a tree.
1: Um, Eden had communication with somebody that we weren't 100% clear on. She was quite possessive with her telephone um, at this stage and She was sending pictures to this person, and they were pursuing her. And on this night, she'd said to me earlier that afternoon that, you know, she'd had a rough day and people were calling her terrible names. And she thinks because this um, photo was leaked out, and she wanted me to know about it and what she should do about it. And she sort of threw the phone in after having a shower and said, You know, good night. Um, I'm going to bed. And then a text came through and I read it and they said, it said, oh, sorry, I could, there's something wrong with my phone. I can't send a photo back. And I said that to Eden. And she grabbed the phone, looked at it and, you know, threw it back down on the bed, quite upset and sort of talked to her sister and then went outside and sat in the car and I thought oh, you know what she went to the bathroom I didn't know where she'd gone actually because I was continuing reading um, to the younger ones and I just thought she'd come back in and when she didn't return within you know 20 minutes half an hour my husband and Hunter went outside and she wasn't there they said oh look we're gonna go and look for her so um, we said You know, I'll wait here with the youngest two and you guys go out, have a look for her. Just, you know, do a few laps of the um, street and all the places that we know where we go as a family. They came home and we kind of said, look, we haven't found her. Um, She did work after school at the local bakery, Banjo's, And we just felt like, you know, at the worst, she's angry, she's at a friend's place, And it was about quarter to seven and everybody was up earlier than normal saying, you know, did Eden come home? Do we know anything more? And I said, look, we haven't heard from her, but it doesn't matter whatever she's done over the night. We're not mad at her. That everybody agreed that we just couldn't wait to see her. And then, at about seven o'clock, a fellow that um, did a bit of mechanics on our car, he's come straight to our home, and he said they've pulled somebody out of the cove. They've drowned, I think, and it might be Ian. So I just said, I'm going, everybody just do whatever it takes to get whatever you need this morning to get to school, if that's where you're going. I'll call you all when I get there. And I drove straight there and as I was driving to the wharf, I thought she was standing and I thought I good. They've revived her and she's okay. So I parked the car at the wharf and I walked across the road and up onto the park and she was hanging there dead. And I said to the officer, Clint, you cut her down right now. And he said, I can't cut it down. There's suspicious circumstances and we're waiting for the coroner. I come from Launceston. I said, well, you need to cover her because I can see her from the road as I was driving up here. And he said, oh, we can't touch her. So I said, all right, well, I'm not going anywhere until the client comes here. And surely you can go to the police station or might 10 and get some sort of car or something to cover her. And there was another police officer on the rock crying. I I thought, what are you doing standing there? Why aren't you stopping the people from walking past and driving past?
2: The cops had totally fucked this up. Pardon my expression, my language. Uh, Number one, when the mum and dad were told about what had happened, they took them down to the scene of the death and they left Eden's body hanging in the tree for several hours. They made no attempt to cut her down or cover her with a blanket. So she was on full view to passerby's going past who were taking pictures with their mobile phones. School kids were going past in school buses who saw her, this lifeless body of this young child hanging from the tree.
1: Then my husband came as she got a out of the car. I just said, just look at me, honey. I said, we've lost her. She has passed. And we embraced each other. And he let out a bit of a sound that I won't ever forget. And then the police officer came over and got him. Jason followed him to where he was standing. And Eden was strung up right behind him. And my husband said, oh, my God, she's hung. And he literally just fell into the ground. And I just walked to the lady. And I had to come up pick up my husband.
2: The dickhead cop who was asking Jason questions about this was asking Jason questions in front of his dead girl's body. I couldn't believe the insensitivity and the incompetence of these idiot cops. Now, it got even worse. Not only did they treat the body with disrespect, but mum and dad with disrespect. It turned out that the investigation was totally bungled. There was video footage of young Eden talking with some older woman shortly before a body was found, appearing to be in some heated argument, And guess what happened to that CCTV footage? It disappeared. Now, mate, footage does not disappear. It's made to disappear. And the other thing that disturbed me about all this was that the cops either failed or refused refused to interview crucial witnesses that were important in this unfortunate young girl's case. So when I heard about all this shit, I said, look... I'm going to do everything in my power to force the authorities to conduct a second coroner's inquest, but a proper coroner's inquest. None of this Mickey Mouse Star Chamber bullshit behind closed doors. I'm going to demand that there's a proper, transparent coroner's inquest, which is open not only to mum and dad and members of the public, but also the media, so they can properly scrutinise and see that not only is justice done, but has seen to be done, which is how it should work, but didn't work in this case. So I offered to help the family uh, do everything I could. And I said, if we succeed in getting a second coroner's inquest, I will fly down to Hobart and I'll represent you and the family in that second coroner's inquest. And I'll cross-examine all the witnesses try to get to the bottom of all this bullshit and expose the cops for their massive incompetence and bungling of this case and I'll do that pro bono free of charge. There it is again. One moment Peter is his caring
0: figure who wants to help a family as they grieve from the tragedy and the injustice that it caused.
1: Uh, he's probably a hard nut to crack but I think the sincerity and innocence, especially a Skye, who's, you know, really smart, but so straightforward and she'll call you out on just about everything. Um, I'm sure we've all got a part of that in us, or otherwise, how do we, you know, strive for goals and things like that? You have to kind of have a certain arrogance in life, I think. Um... We haven't really seen that side of him. We may have gotten the softest side of Peter, I think, that anybody might see. But he's been a huge support. Um, And he couldn't have come at a better time. It's sort of like he just landed at the perfect time for us.
0: In the next episode of The Lambo Lawyer,
2: I want to send a message to cancer sufferers. Hey guys, a cancer diagnosis is not an automatic death sentence.
3: And and he said to mum, he goes, You know, the only thing that upsets me, mum? And she said, What's that, Peter? She said, If I walk into a room and only half of the women in there want to fuck me. And it was dead silence at the table.
2: I'm 100 kilos of solid muscle, Bobby will tell you, I, I can, and I have done it shortly after I got out of hospital, but I don't anymore mm. because it's too much stress on your ligaments and joints.
1: He loves the fight, and he's got the stamina. That takes, it takes an enormous, deep stamina to do the trials he does.